0: For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. But they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But now, Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the Law and the Prophets testify. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly.
1: Well, good morning, NBC. Welcome to week two of Worship at Home. Uh, I got to tell you that we miss you. (laughs) We're praying for you. And I want you to know something this morning. We we are going to get through this. We're going to get through this crisis by the grace of God and through the power of his Holy Spirit. And so to bring you some encouragement this morning, we're going to continue our series from Romans. And so as we start today, what I want you to do is I want you, while you're sitting at home, to picture a sailboat. Now, I'm not much of a sailor. Uh, i think i've been on speedboats. i've been on harbor cruises but as far as i can remember i don't think i've ever been on a sailboat Well, just imagine that you've decided to go sailing and the problem is like me you know next to nothing about sailing and so you go to the store and you you purchase several books to find out what's involved maybe you you carefully read those books and then you go and you find some veteran sailors and uh... you ask them all the questions you could possibly have And the next day, after collecting all this information, you go and you rent a sailboat. And you examine it to make certain that everything needed for a successful sailing experience is present and it's in good working order. And then you take your boat and you launch it out onto the lake. Your excitement at this point, it's it's at a fever pitch, but there's also a lot of anxiety because you've never done this before. And so you follow the instructions you've read, and the counsel you've received from the expert sailors, and then as you launch the boat out into the water, you carefully monitor each step. You you watch how the sail is being hoisted. And it's at that precise moment that you learn a crucial lesson. You can study sailing. (laughs) You might even be able to build a sailboat. You can seek out the wisest and most experienced sailors. You can, you can cast your boat out onto the most beautiful lake with the warm and inviting sun. And some of you are saying, yes, I just want to be there. You can even successfully hoist that sail. But, and this is a big but, only God can make the wind blow. In Romans 8, Verses 1 to 17, we're going to learn that in order for us to grow in the Christian life, we need the wind to blow. We need the Holy Spirit. Now, I recognize that in Baptist circles, we get a little skeptical when the preacher starts to talk about the Holy Spirit. You know, we like to focus on Jesus and the cross so much that, that we forget there's even a third person of the Trinity. But if you look in John's Gospel, Jesus tells his closest followers that when he leaves, he is going to give us a, a helper. He says, a helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He says, he will teach you all things and bring you to, remember, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, John fourteen twenty six. In other words, one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit is to bring assurance in our lives. And here's one thing I know for certain we all need assurance we all need assurance and right now we're living in a time of great uncertainty no one seems sure about anything right will the stock market go back up I don't know Uh, when will travel restrictions be lifted I don't know when will we get a vaccine or a cure for this disease And, and you say I don't know and when we ask questions like that we are looking for assurance that everything is gonna be okay. In fact, coronavirus anxiety is a top hit on Google searches today. Now today, and as serious as as this is, the scriptures teach us that there is an even greater assurance we need in our life than, than everything that's happening. And we long for assurance, and when we don't get it, we're fearful and we're anxious. We feel out of control. We're looking for someone to step in and say, I've got this Romans 8 verses 1 to 17 is all about the assurance the Holy Spirit brings to believers he brings assurance and he brings power like we've never known he is the wind beneath our sails church in Romans 8 Paul tell, Paul will show us three truths that the Holy Spirit gives us first he gives us a new reality second he gives us he gives us a new worldview And third, He gives us a new family. A new reality, a new worldview, and a new family. And when we grasp those three truths and get them deep, deep down in our souls, we will have the assurance that we long for. So as we start today, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace in our lives. And Lord, I pray for my friends who are listening at home today. I pray for encouragement, I pray for conviction, I pray for challenge, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would move in our hearts and that we would receive the great power that we, we have in your Holy Spirit. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So first, the Holy Spirit gives us a new reality. Now, last week, Pastor Dave did a marvelous job of explaining that, that duality that we see in Romans 7. He said it's like the story, the famous story of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Remember, Paul ends chapter 7 by declaring, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And I think, if you're listening at home, uh, I think a lot of us relate to what Paul is saying in chapter 7. We, we wrestle with sin. right? We, we don't do the things that we ought to do, even though we want to. And so, at the end of chapter 7, we also uh, exclaim with Paul in an exasperated cry. We say, I am wretched. Who will save me? It's now that Paul ushers us into chapter 8 and verse 1 explodes off the page and into our hearts. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. That's the new reality. Now, the conjunction therefore is letting us know that this verse is responding to everything that has come before. In chapters 1 to 3, Paul laid out his case against us as sinful people deserving condemnation. In chapters 4 and 5, we learned about justification by faith. In chapters 6 and 7, we learned um, about our battle against sin. And now, therefore, there is no condemnation. We're in a new realm, a new reality. This verse conveys the inauguration of a new era in Christ. But... I don't want us to gloss over this verse because many of us listening today don't believe this verse. I mean, ask yourself, do you believe there is no condemnation if you're in Christ? Now, not condemned is, of course, a legal term. It means to be free from debt or penalty. Um, But most people, as I said, even, even dare I say most Christians, live like they still have a debt to pay. What do I mean? I mean, this is why we're always trying to prove how good we are. It's why we work so hard to achieve status and recognition and reputation. It's why we get so defensive when people criticize us, right? Have you ever gotten defensive over criticism? It's why we don't want anyone to know our family secrets and our junk, because we believe unless we live a good life, we stand condemned. Now, the Greek word that's translated as no condemnation is the Greek word katakrina, and it means that condemnation is destroyed. But here's the tension, and here's the tension I think we feel from last week and into this week. We can't quite reconcile Romans 7 and Romans 8. See, we resonate so much with Romans 7 because we know deep, deep down in our hearts that we are sinful people worthy of being condemned. But if you're a Christian, If you're a Christian, you need to resonate so much more with Romans 8 because of Christ's work. We are not condemned. In fact, verses 2 to 4 further explain verse 1. Verse 2 says this, Because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now, you may remember at the beginning of Romans 7, Paul uses the illustration of marriage to explain our relationship to Christ and the law. He he essentially said this. He said, you are either married to the law or you're married to Christ. Like, you can't be unmarried. There's no single people here. And in verse 2, he reiterates that Christ Jesus has set us free from sin and death. But you might ask the question, what is this law of the Spirit? Well, it's here. For believers that the law plays a positive role. It's here that God's Holy Spirit comes to the believer with power and authority. He is the one who brings liberation and power from the, and power from, uh, from the, and liberates us from the old age, and it, and it's condemnation. And then you ask, well, how are we set free? Well, look, look at verse three. It says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering and so he condemned sin in the flesh now verse 3 gives a further explanation of verse 2 see the spirit's liberating work takes place only because of the situation that Christ created do you get that? And see, in other words God sent Jesus his son as a human being in the flesh to be a sin offering Now the term sin offering is is really an important one, Uh, it means that Christ paid the penalty due our sin and as a result broke sin's power in our lives and that created this space for the Holy Spirit to come and do his work. Now now that doesn't mean that we, we should not care about sin or have a cavalier attitude about it, no, no, no. Paul, Paul continues, and he further explains that in verse 4. He says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, you may say, How is the righteous requirement of the law fully met in us? Right? That's confusing. Now, verses 3 and 4, what they've been doing, and what they, they've been called, is the great interchange. Interchange. Essentially that means this, Christ became what we are, sin, that we might become what Christ is, which is righteous. In other words, the righteous requirement of the law was fulfilled in us first, because Christ paid the penalty of our sin, but secondly, God did not simply defeat sin, he wiped it out of our lives, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives us the ability to live a righteous life. In fact, the message version puts it this way and, and calls back that, uh, that sailing image I mentioned before. The message version says, A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, it has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. And that's good news, friends. <laughs> we need the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, you may start to object and you say, well, hold on a minute, hold on a minute, Pastor Bob. I still sin. I, I don't obey the law perfectly. And that's true. I, neither do I. In this life, we will not obey perfectly. But, but, and, and a lot of people miss this, we have the power to resist sin and live a righteous life because of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That That's the new reality. That's what we're getting at here. Now, think about it this way. And let's come back to the sailboat image for just a second. The sailboat is like our lives as Christians. For some of us listening today, your Christian life feels like you're lost at sea. You're floating aimlessly on the waves, and it it never feels like you're able to get any traction. There's There's no movement. In reality, you've never opened up the sails and allowed the wind to move you. Do you catch what I'm saying, right? Now you say, well, what does that practically mean? Well, it means this. It means that you may attend church, and you may know in your mind some truths, some of the truths maybe even that I've laid out today. Yes, you say, yes, I know, Jesus died for me. Yes, there is no condemnation, I get it, but I don't live like it, I really don't believe it, even though I get it. Yes, there is a Holy Spirit, but I I really don't know what he does, right? I'm, I'm confused about the Holy Spirit so you may know some of these truths intellectually but in reality all you want to do is obey the law to prove that you're a good person to prove that you can save yourself but the truth is this the law can't save you obedience to the law can't save you and you will never perfectly obey it and if that's you listening today you are living in the old reality not the new reality but when you understand the gospel, and here's what I want you to get, when, it, when, when the gospel gets deep, deep down in your heart, the sails of your sailboat open up and, and you spread your wings in the Christian life. Right? You know now, if, if this happens, you know that what Christ did, you could not do. In him, in Christ, you have all the worth and all the acceptance you need. You also recognize that Christ's work made it possible for this empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, the wind to enter your life and cause you to sail. And friends, when you get that, when you really and truly get that, when you recognize that, verse 13 makes a whole lot more sense. So skip down to Romans 8, verse 13. Paul writes this. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, you've got to ask, what does it mean to live according to the flesh? Right? I think flesh, as, as Doug Moo says in this context, sums up what's often been called the world or worldly mindsets. In other words, to live for the flesh is to live a life of rebellion against God. In verse 13, Paul is describing some, some eschatological realities, end-of-time end realities, right? So he says here, living according to the flesh is going to mean eternal death, like, like forever death. In contrast, if you live by the Spirit, you're going to experience eternal life. How you live is evidence of your relationship with Christ. But, but here's what I don't want you to miss. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to kill the flesh, And that's what so many people don't get. See, when the wind catches your sails, he gives you the power to resist sin and kill the desires of the flesh. So think, just at your homes, think right now about the sins you struggle with and right now invite the Holy Spirit to help you put to death the deeds of the flesh. Maybe you struggle with pride and you say, say, Holy Spirit, humble me. Right? Maybe it's lust that you struggle with. You say, Holy Spirit, convict me. Are you being deceptive? We well, need to say, Holy Spirit, give me the strength and the courage to be honest for the first time in a really, really long time. In fact, the, the, the great writer John Owen once said, we need to be killing sin or sin will be killing us. This is a war we rage and we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through him, you can put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's the new reality. That's how we grow as a Christian. You open up your sails and you let them work. But the work of the Holy Spirit goes even deeper than this. Because you see, once we grasp that new reality, he also changes us from the inside out and he gives us a new worldview. That's point two a new worldview. Now, think for a moment what is a worldview? A worldview can be defined as a philosophy of life, a conception of the world. And here's the thing about world worldviews: they, they affect everything, right? In fact, everyone listening today at home has a worldview, and your view of the world influences everything. It influences how you spend money, it influences whom you spend your time with, it influences how you vote. In short, it's the reason you live the way that you do. It's because of the worldview that you have. So when you get to Romans chapter 8 verse 5, Paul now turns to our minds. Our new reality in Christ should give us a new world view. In fact, look at what he says. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Now take notice of that phrase, have their minds set. Now now everyone's going to have their minds set on something, and set is really, right now I am setting on a chair. The chair is holding me up. I'm trusting in that thing to to bolster me. And that's what it means. Like you're setting your mind on something, you're trusting in something, it's consumed by something. Now, Now in our modern world, we have a tendency to separate out mind and body. Right? But, but that wasn't true in ancient philosophy. And so when Paul speaks about the mind here, he is speaking about the very core of our being, who we are, our inner desires. And he also is setting up this dichotomy. He says, your mind will be set either on the flesh or on what the spirit desires. And what the spirit desires is to honor God the Father. Now, if you want to know if you have your mind set on the flesh or the spirit, perhaps perhaps the easiest diagnostic tool to assess what you're, what's in your mind right now is to ask yourself, what preoccupies me? What preoccupies me? What, what do I daydream about, right? So, so even now, ask yourself, what am I really thinking about? Right? Maybe I'm zoning out as I'm listening at home. What are you thinking about? Now, maybe all you can think about is being with your friends. Okay, now that's not necessarily a bad thing, but if it dominates your thoughts over and against being with Jesus, it can be a bad thing because it's becoming preeminent over Jesus in your life. Perhaps you're sitting here listening to the service and all you can think about are checking the latest numbers about the COVID-19 outbreak in New Jersey. The news is what dominates your mind and it's producing a spirit of fear. Now let me just suggest that instead of being so focused on the news why don't we take a moment and pray in fact right now in this in this message let's all bow our heads and pause let's set our minds on the things of the spirit as we pray for his will and his desire and his perspective this morning as we watch this i have a video for us to watch so let's pause and watch this video right now
0: lord have mercy have mercy on our world Have mercy on our nation. Have mercy on my city. Have mercy on my family. Please, Lord, have mercy. Give wisdom to our leaders who are lying awake at night thinking about what needs to happen next. Give courage to the nurses who are willingly stepping into the front lines to help people just like us. Give strength to the scientists working tirelessly to find answers for all of us. Give hope to the sick, staring up at ceilings, wondering if they'll be the next statistic. Give healing to the legendary grandpas and cherished grandmas. To the heroic mothers and the gentle fathers. To the brave sons and the beautiful daughters. Lord, have mercy on all of us. You don't owe us anything, but we are begging for this. Lord, have mercy.
1: Lord, have mercy, have mercy on us to desire what the spirit desires. Holy Spirit, would you take control of our minds and hearts and help us to focus more on you than this world? And when that happens, look at the result, Romans 8, 6. It says, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Peace. Now, to be governed means that someone or something has authority over you, right? So if your mind is governed by the things of this world, there's going to be death. But listen to this. If, if the spirit governs your mind, if the spirit has authority over your mind, what's the result? Life. Peace. We need some more life and peace in our world, don't we, Right? We are so preoccupied with chaos and death right now. We need the Spirit to assure us about life and peace. And that's what happens when we embrace this new reality, this new worldview. Because if we don't, look at what happens. Verse 7, he says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Now, wow. <laughs> wow. Those, those are harsh words. Those, those are fighting words here, right? And again, if you're focused on the world, you can't please God. But more than that, you're, you're hostile to God. As Paul said earlier in Romans 5, you're an enemy of God. The people Paul is describing here are those that have not truly been transferred to the realm of grace. They, they, they have a worldview not governed by the Spirit, and it shows in how they live their life. In order for you to grow as a Christian, you need to change what you mind, or put another way, you need to have a transformed mind. You need to have a transformed mind. But in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 8, Paul tells us that if the Holy Spirit is in us, we're not in the flesh. He gives us assurance of that. This is a word of assurance, right? If we know the Holy Spirit, we indeed belong to God. And again, if we belong to God, if our minds have been transformed, we have a new hope. And that hope is is seen very clearly in verse 11. Look at verse 11. He says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, friends, look at that verse just one more time. I'm going to leave it on the screen. Let that truth wash over you today do you see what Paul is saying Paul is asserting that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and so will we if we know Jesus now that's a change in worldview, right right how many people today if if they're not Christians think that we're gonna be raised from the dead yeah how many people think that there's gonna be a new heavens and a new earth I mean this this is just not popular talk in our modern secular world And so, Christians, as we as we approach Easter, Easter's coming next week, we should have our minds governed by the new reality that death is not the end. There is hope of resurrection. Amen. I hope I hear some amens at home. And the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside you reminds you, he illuminates you to this reality. So, Christian, rest in the assurance of that truth. And if you don't believe that, you need a new worldview. Right? You need some wind in your sails If you want to grow as a Christian You need the Holy Spirit To transform your mind So that you see how destructive The flesh can be But also so you see how beautiful Christ is Now there's one more truth The Holy Spirit shows us here in Romans 8 And I, I want to end here And it's, it's, it's this reality that we get a new family We get a new family Now you might say Well Pastor Bob, I like my family just fine, right? I, I don't need a new family. Don't, don't pressure me into that. And, and listen, I get that. I'm not disputing that. I'm not disputing that you love your family. But, but if you're a Christian, you know that one birth is not enough. We need a second birth. And in Romans eight fourteen to 17, we get some of the most wondrous and assuring verses in the whole Bible. Look at what Paul writes in Romans eight fourteen. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the what? Are the children of God. Wow. (laughs) Now, do you see the progression in this chapter? Right, first, Paul clues us into this this new reality of no condemnation life. And then secondly, he shows us a new worldview governed by the Holy Spirit. But finally, finally, he he appeals now to our emotional centers and our desire for relationship right? If the, if the Spirit of God leads you, he says, you're his children. You, you are his children. Now, when Paul uses that phrase, led by the Spirit, he is stating that those who are children of God will live like it. All right? They'll exhibit some family traits. And the verse which preceded verse 14, verse 13, told us that if we live according to the Spirit, we will put to death the deeds of of the flesh. In other words, we will fight against the rebellious mindset of the world. So if you're a child of God, it will be evident in how you live, and how you talk, and the decisions that you make. It's going it's to be evident. And, and it doesn't mean that we're going to always do this perfectly, but we allow the Spirit to guide us and to grow us. Let, let me offer what I think is a helpful illustration here. I once heard a story about a father who had asked his young son to do some household chores. And that household chore was vacuuming the house. Now, uh, maybe your child at home is really good at doing chores. I don't know. Uh, or some of you are now rolling your eyes and looking at each other as you're at home. This, this young boy was not good at doing chores. In fact, after the child left the room, the father went to clean the dishes. And as the father was unloading the dishwasher, he heard his son turn on the vacuum for about 45 seconds. And then his son returned and happily reported, I'm done. And the father said, you vacuumed the whole house? And the son replied, "Mm-hmm." and the father looked at him long and hard, looked him up and down. And he said, son, Superman could not vacuum this whole house in 45 seconds. But the son protested, <laughs> I did, Dad, and I, again, maybe this is causing some family quarrels at home because this, this may have happened yesterday in your house, I don't know. So the father, in this s- instance, did what any loving father would do. He, he took his son's hand and he said, well, let's just walk around and see if you vacuumed everything. And so they walked around the house and he found in one corner, they found an entire bag of goldfish crackers that looked like someone had intentionally dumped them on the floor and then danced on them. And the father said, son, did you vacuum this? And the son replied, well, I didn't see it. And the father said, okay, but it's on the floor. And you were supposed to vacuum the floor. I don't know how you missed this. And so then they vacuumed. And they walked around, and the father showed his son other obvious things that he failed to see. Now, friends, this is what it's like to be led by the Spirit as the children of God. The Holy Spirit takes us around the house of our heart and He says, hey, look, there's some crushed up goldfish crackers. It's going to be awesome for them to be gone. Otherwise, bugs are going to get in there and bad stuff's going to happen. There's going to be a smell, a a rotten smell in there. Let's get this all cleaned up. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He says, I'm going to help you get that cleaned up. The Holy Spirit wants to clean up places that we didn't even know were dirty. Amen? Amen. That's what the Spirit does. And that's a beautiful picture of life in the family of God. That the Holy Spirit, the guide, the helper, lovingly guides the children of God into greater maturity and awareness. And that's a picture of Christian growth. And so I'd ask you, friends, what are those places in your life this week where the Holy Spirit is pointing out, and inviting us to get them cleaned up. You have to open up your sails, church. Paul continues in verse 15. He says, "The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship." Now Paul recalls again language from verse from ch- rather from chapter 6. That's slavery language. But notice where slavery leads here. Slavery leads to fear. Right now, now the fear he's referring to here is that of God's judgment. In other words, before we became children of God, we stood condemned before him. But now, as we've learned in this chapter, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and thus, there's no reason to fear. Now again, this is a a profound point that I don't want to gloss over. Because during this home quarantine that we're walking through right now, many of us, I think, are afraid. But more than that, more than that, I think, I think so many of us feel isolated and alone. Right? We, we are not enjoying right now the blessing of being together. We're, we're missing the intimacy of being in close proximity with our, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But as difficult as this is, there is, there is a greater isolation that is even more terrifying. And that's, that's isolation from the God of the universe. So, so don't miss what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that the great benefit of being a child of God is fearless intimacy with him. Right? God is not socially distancing himself from us. And at a time when we feel isolated and alone, we need to lean into the relationship we have with our loving Heavenly Father. But more than that, we get a new family. Right? It, it says here that we're adopted into God's family. And while the text says, Sonship, this status can be understood as applying to both sons and daughters. And this is an important theological theme, and it's grounded in the culture of the time, because you see, in the Roman world, there was a legal institution. And and it was this, whereby one could adopt a child and confer on that child all the legal rights and privileges that would be given to a natural child. But again, and, and don't miss this, this adoption was based totally on the legal act of the father. In other words, we, we don't get to negotiate with our dad. He chooses us, and it's very costly for him. Church, do you understand how much it costs the father to adopt us into, our fa- into his family? It cost him his son. And look at how our relationship changes in this new family. Verse verse 15, the second half of verse 15 says, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Now if you've been around church for a while, you've probably heard this phrase taught on. And that word Abba is an Aramaic word that literally means daddy. Now why does Paul, you may ask, why does Paul use this word here? Uh, More I think than it being an Aramaic word, it is a simple word. It's, it's, it's a very simple word that children use when crying out to their parents. So, so think about this. Think about children and language for a second. If you, if you have kids or if you can remember being a kid. I remember when my daughter was little, right? When an infant utters their first sounds, what are they? What are their first words? It's something simple that doesn't need teeth. They say, dada, mama. Or dada, mama. And when an infant or a toddler cries out, mama, dada, what are they looking for? What's, what was my daughter looking for when she was crying out, dada and mama? They're looking for love and security. Right? They're wanting to know that there is someone there to feed them and to, and to protect them and to love them. And by using this word, Paul, what Paul's conveying to us is that we have the same relationship with our heavenly father. We we are children who cry out Dada Dada out of a desire for love and security, and this is the great benefit we have in the family of God. We're adopted. We're as children. And if you doubt that, you need to look to another role of the Holy Spirit in verse sixteen. He says it says the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In other words, the Holy Spirit gives us the assurance we are looking for. When it says the Holy Spirit testifies, it means that that he's telling us the truth about who we are. So listen, the Holy Spirit is not just instrumental in making us God's children. He makes us aware that we are God's children. He opens our eyes. And, And what does that mean? It means that this is not just some intellectual understanding. This is an emotional reality. Like do you do you feel it? You know, listen. In our church, in our church, and I, and I have other friends who who have adopted children. And so if you know if you know people who've done that or you've done that yourself, I want you to picture what is it? Like, what was it? What would it be like to be an orphaned child? You know, you're in an orphanage and you're not sure if someone is going to come and take you out of that orphanage. If you're going to get a new family, and, and then one day, one day, a new family shows up, a new father. And they choose you to be part of their family. And when you see them, you, you go running across the room only, only to be embraced by this new love. And friends, if you've seen pictures like that or you know people that have done that, this, this, this is exactly what happened when the Holy... This is exactly what the Holy Spirit is testifying to about us. And, and, and if you're a Christian, this idea of adoption should just make you weep. That our Heavenly Father embraced us when we were orphans. And now now we get all the blessings of being part of His family. Now, I don't know what everyone's family of origin was like, but it it is such a blessing to be in the family of God. And and, and we get at least four benefits of being children of God. These are on your outline. The first benefit is this. It's security. We get security. We, We... we learn in verse 15 that we are not slaves to fear. We are children of God. And this is not a relationship based on punishment. No, no, this, this, there is no fear of losing this relationship. We are fully known and truly loved. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ and in his family. Secondly, we have power or authority. We are told that God has given us Authority and power over sin and the devil. We have been set free from the dominion of sin by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And we need to open up our sails. Open up the sails of our boat and start soaring with, with the power that's beneath those sails, the wind. That's what it li- it's like to be a child of God. Third, we get intimacy. Uh, we, 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 are tr- we are deeply Known we, we can know God intimately and cry out to him like a little child who needs their daddy Our father knows us to the deepest part of who we are and the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to this and then finally finally we have assurance Church we have assurance as the hymn writer famously put it when all around my soul gives way he Then is all my hope and stay and so, church, you may be afraid today, but you need to know that your relationship with God and your future is secure. He loves you. He loves you more than you could possibly know. He loves you greater than the mountains. He loves you. And so some of us listening today need to, need to open up the sails of our Christian lives, and we need to let the Holy Spirit do His work. Stop listlessly floating around in the sea, and you've got to start sailing. When you embrace that truth you will start living with a new identity, a co-heir with Christ. In fact, look at how how Paul finishes this section, verse 17. He says, now if we are children of God, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now that is striking language. You say, what does it mean to be an heir? Well, in Roman law, it was common for an adopted child to inherit the estate. But Paul has a deeper meaning here. In fact, in the Old Testament, inheritance was also prominent. Right? The Roman readers would have understood the power and benefit of adoption here. And for Christians, through our adoption into the family of God, we have become co-heirs with God's one and only son. And so now, listen to this, now we stand to inherit everything that is due to him. He will share everything with his adopted brothers and sisters except worship. What a blessing to be part of the family of God. We're going we're to go sailing on the ocean together. If you need assurance today, know this, you, and hear this, you are an heir of the promise. Imagine if we live like that. In fact, after Easter, we're going to focus on that exact idea. That's going to be the next section of Romans we, we look at. We're excited about that series, and we hope that you will, you will watch with us and be here with us. So embrace the new reality. Transform your mind with a new worldview. And finally, enjoy the benefits of your new family. These are all true by the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we part today, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do you live with that truth? Or are you living the life of a condemned person? When we look in the mirror, it's hard for us to believe that God really loves us. In fact, most of us have moments when we look at ourselves and we think, man, I deserve plenty of condemnation. But that's not what God says. What God says is this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Lord, thank you for my friends who are watching today. Lord, I pray that we would receive that truth, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and now we have the power of the Holy Spirit, the wind beneath our sails who guides us and who transforms us more into the image of your Son. Father, may we receive that assurance today, and may you receive glory in Jesus' name. Amen.